Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. This is On the Tape. I'm Danny Nathan. I am joined by Danny Moses. Guy Adami is taking a little family time this week. He will be back with us next week. Danny Moses, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How you feeling? You recovering? I'm doing okay. I got the COVID. I'm up in New York City. It seems like every other person in New York City has it. Good news is it seems very mild. I feel like I have a little bit of a head cold. I've been diagnosed for a couple days. My family is not positive. That's all good news. So listen, at the end of the day, maybe this thing kind of just burns its way through the population in a less lethal manner. I was talking to a bunch of younger people, family members that were at SantaCon. Oh, yeah. That was the super spreader event, New York City, December 11th. That's when everybody about five days later started to get sick. So, And you know what's crazy about that day, Danny? It was literally like a 65-degree day in New York. <laughs> like Literally, if I was 20 years younger, I would have run out to Party City and got myself a Santa hat and done the bar crawl because it looked really fun. All right, man, let's get into it. We got about a week left in the year. As far as the market's concerned, they are back raging. The S&P 500 is back very near the highs it made about a month ago. What did we have? Nearly a 6% peak to trough decline. That was the totality of the fear that this Omicron variant put into the markets. Obviously, the Fed had a huge role in that same period by getting a bit more hawkish, increasing the pace of the taper, not backing down one bit in the face of this variant. What's your take here into your end? Yeah, so I know you hate the phrase, everyone does, Santa Claus rally, but what's interesting about it is all this volatility, I think if it had happened at any other time of the year, literally, as opposed to the last 10 days of December, it would have been a little bit different. So if you Rip Van Winkled yourself and went to sleep on like the 26th of November and woke up, 10-year yields are basically the same place, the Qs, the S&P, and all you did was inflict brain damage upon yourself trying to figure this market out. The one thing that has changed is the chances for a Fed rate hike and all this. So the two-year yield has gone up, but there's now a 57% chance of rate hike in the March meeting. That was 42% a week ago. I guess if you're a bull, you want to say, well, good. I'm glad that's built into the market. We know we're tapering much quicker now than we were. That's being built in here. So there's no, quote, Fed surprises coming. But I do believe we will be facing the same issues that we're going to face when we roll the calendar in January. And I just think we're in this little bit of reprieve. And I did think the market sold off a little bit aggressive on the Omicron without knowing all the data. And listen, we've always said this. The majority of money is managed out of New York and Boston. They're very selfish in the mindset. And so when New York got a wave, everyone panicked. And now they're saying, you know what? If you're vaccinated, which is the majority of people that manage money in New York and Boston, you're going to be fine. So I think now it's grip it and rip it into kind of year end. I would push back a little bit on the consumer side of things. I mean, listen, we know what happened in Q3 with the Delta variant. It destroyed GDP growth here in the U.S. Think about it. We had estimates at the start of Q3 that were high single digits. It came in at low single digits. And now with Omicron being around for at least one third of Q4, I've seen some estimates where Q4 GDP is going to be cut in half. Think about my family in and of itself. Okay. We were supposed to get on a plane. We were supposed to take a lot of lifts. We were supposed to go to a lot of restaurants. We were supposed to buy a lot of things in shops and do a lot of things. We are not doing that now. Okay. Now you could say that's backward looking. It doesn't really matter what Q3 or Q4 GDP 
GDP are, but this is also happening at a time where we're seeing decelerating growth. And you said this. This was the one takeaway that I really enjoyed out of your Fed commentary last week. You said, what did Jay Powell do? He heightened inflation expectations, and he lowered growth expectations for next year. And if you put all of this together, what happened over this last month, whether it was on consumer balance sheets or when you think about businesses, it definitely did take its toll on supply chains a little bit. It's going to slow up some of those things. So we're going to see some of the stickiness of some of these increases are going to be around a little bit. I'm not telling you I'm getting off my reversion of the inflation sort of trade. But what I'm saying is it creates near-term uncertainty. For sure. Listen, Q4 GDP, whatever that number is, is kind of meaningless because just like you just said, it'll be excused away of Omicron variant that came in towards the end. That may actually, to the point you just made, increase Q1. You and I were just talking before this and you're buying tickets online to Eddie Vedder. I'm saying you use some disposable income there and still do other things. That's in February. He so. who forgets will be destined to remember. I think that was a on the tape title. That was. We had a run. I think Amanda was like rolling her eyes for weeks and weeks and weeks where every on the tape title was a lyric from one of I our know. favorite bands or a yeah. song title. But yeah, we got off that a little bit. Oh, sorry, Danny. Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. So I just think maybe now growth looks a little bit better in Q1 potentially. I'm listen. You know me. I'm not changing my stance either. I think the market's overvalued. I think the S&P is very rich. Like I said, I don't think it can go much higher, but I certainly can see it going much lower. But when this calendar rolls and we start to look at 2022, and none of the issues have gone away. As a matter of fact, to your point you just made, inflation actually may be exacerbated as we go into Q1 because we pushed out this type of demand for another quarter. So no, I haven't changed my stance. I just think it's literally the seasonal time of year. People are protecting their books you got a hedge fund that's trying to hang on to gains. They'll literally spend every dollar they have to keep those stocks kind of where they are. And the same on the mutual funds. Everyone just wakes up in the morning and says, big bucks, no whammies. Please, no whammies. And they open it up, look under the covers like, oh, good, not a whammy. Yeah. I suspect you're going to see some really horrible hedge fund performance in Q4. All right, Danny, let's talk about this. There's a place where there's been a lot of performance. It's been mega cap tech. And one of the things that I want to go back to is Q1 of this year when rates were going higher. I think it's really important to remember that the 10-year U.S. Treasury year when 2021 started was below 1%. And it went up in what seemed like a straight line from the last day in January to the last day of March. It went from about 1% to 1.77%. At that point, I think most economists, most strategists, and a lot of investors were pricing in the fact that the pandemic at this point of 2021 was going to be in the rearview mirror and that equities, which were rallying at that time, were going to be able to handle increased rates because we're going to get back to some sense of normalcy. So here we are. It's the end of the year. The pandemic is not over. We're still seeing many, many, many disruptions here. Rates are lower, okay? The 10 years lower than where it was in Q1. The two-year is higher, and you've explained that away. I get all that. But in Q1, we saw mega cap tech stocks took a huge dip. Apple Computer sold off 20% from its highs to its lows in the spring and March. And that was really predicated on the expectation that rates were going to continue to go higher. What do you think goes on with the 10-year? You just mentioned Fed funds now price in a rate increase in March. But let me tell you something. Back in 2018, when Fed Chair Powell was raising, Fed funds didn't get to 2.5%. I don't think it's ever getting to 2% ever again. What's your take on rates here? How quickly do we start going up? And what is the impact on these mega cap tech stocks that have been the reason why the stock market is where it is right now? Like I said, I watched the 10-year to kind of try to figure out not so much inflation, but to your point, what, is growth, what do growth expectations look like? And me seeing the Fed fund futures pull forward a rate hike, 
makes me even more, if you want to say, bullish on 10-year bonds, bearish on yields. I don't think yields are going to go much higher from here. So to answer your question, how will big tech perform when they're using the 10-year yield as the barometer? If that's all the barometer was, I would say they're probably okay. Maybe the market's okay. And maybe that's what this market is telling us. But like I said, tapering is happening. We're now through another month. We're going to go to 30 billion less, obviously, January. There's nothing that's going to change that. And you mentioned the pandemic. I saw a really interesting article. It's now endemic. I think what people knew in the back of their minds was, okay, best case, this thing is gone. That was never likely that it was ever going to be gone. Worst case, it's going to be horrible. We're going to deal with it and the vaccines don't work. We've gotten that off the table. I think what we're looking at is people that say, you know what? I'm going to get the booster every year if that's what it takes. And I'm going to do that. I can go on living my life. Omicron has proved one thing. If you're vaccinated, it appears you're perfectly fine for the most part, unless you have underlying health issues. And to me, that's somewhat of a relief because at least it's getting a little bit more defined. Now, if a Sigma variant comes along, that could be something else. So I would add that to your point that you're making. I can't foresee that. But I think the best case scenario outcome has occurred from what appeared to be three weeks ago, a potential horrible case. And I just think, again, people, to your point, they postpone trips, but you know what? They're not going international. They're going to Florida. They're still spending money. They're looking for things to do. They still have a lot of disposable income. Yeah, but Danny, you say that, but I know so many people who are worried to leave New York and go to Florida who have not gotten the virus yet because they're worried about getting down there. They know they're going to get it. They know their kids are going to go out and see their friends and go to bars. So I actually think there's a huge chance that the disruption to travel and spending in the last few weeks does not find its way into Q1. And I think there's a chance that there's further disruptions by other variants going forward. And I'm not wishing it on anybody. I mean, I'm triple vaxxed and I have this thing right now and I'm feeling pretty good. I'm only in home because I have to be at home. You know what I'm saying? So who knows what happens here? All right, let's talk about some sectors in the market because we're just talking about tech. One of the things that I find interesting, like I said, Apple sold off 20% in Q1. And that was obviously before we knew a whole heck of a lot about the course of the economy and what the market was basically able to withstand on a valuation basis. I think we've just seen multiple expansion. So will we continue to see multiple expansion if rates are going higher? Not so sure about that, but I also find really troubling the fact that I think 2021 is going to be one in five years over the last like maybe 50 that has not had a 10% peak to trough decline. And what does that say to me? It just tells me that there's over exuberance in the market. We've never had a proper level of fear. I'm just going to keep it simple. If the Fed starts hiking rates, this market's going nowhere. It's probably going lower. And if the Fed stops what they're doing, slows down the taper or doesn't raise rates, what happened? That means the, something bad has happened. I'm not saying it's virus related. I'm saying it's market related and there's some type of function. I know Guy's not on here, but he wants to talk about you know reverse repo markets and the liquidity in the market. Something has gone wrong. So I'm with you. I don't see how big tech outperforms into a rising, call it Fed funds rate environment. What I'm saying is if people are keying in on the 10-year, I've been saying this all along, stop watching the 10-year because what it's telling you is that this economy will slow down dramatically if the Fed does indeed start to raise rates. And so you're on the other side of this. You're kind of boxed in. You're kind of boxed into this. So like I said, if we were having this conversation, it was January 9th or January 10th, I think we'd be much more spirited about whether you're bearish or not. It's the calendar. I get it. Never short a dull market, as they like to say. All right, let's look at this 210 spread, though, really quickly, and then let's go look at financials. Let's look at bank stocks here. We're seeing this thing at 80 basis points. It's basically where we started the year. But what happened is, obviously, twos went up, tens went lower. That's really what's happened over the last few months here. 
Look at bank stocks. Look at JP Morgan. JP Morgan broke its uptrend that had been in place from its January lows. So it has been a massive outperformer relative to many of its money center peers here. But look at this thing now down 9%. What are bank stocks telling you about this environment right now? I think they're telling you that the IPO calendar was massive in 2021. A lot of issuance. It's a lot to absorb. And I think the fear would be if you did have a market correction or things got dicier, don't get us wrong, they're still dicey right now. I know the market's levels aren't saying that. They're saying, how do you repeat Q1 numbers? So I think the comparables get very, very difficult. The other thing is consumer credit has peaked. Is it going to be horrible? No, but a lot of these guys that have reserved and have released reserves may not be able to do that as much. So a lot of these kind of one-time gains these banks have been having, and listen, they're still in a great position. I don't think we're talking about banks that aren't stable, but I think that's what we're looking at here. So I think it's the calendar, and I think that's a great point, Dan. I think the banks are the ones to watch for overall the health of Wall Street, because like I said, if the IPO calendar does pick back up, these stocks will rip. I mean, they will, especially into a rising rate environment. Yeah, well, obviously, if you're thinking about Q1 of this year, SPACs went crazy, and that was a huge source of just activity there. I suspect that Q1 2022, as it relates to banks, that we see a lot of M&A activity. I just feel like it seems like that would be the perfect cherry on top. You know what I mean? Literally cherry on top. So on the M&A front, I don't know if you guys caught this here, but Oracle made a, I think, near $30 billion bid for a company called Cerner here. And it's interesting because Oracle had been trading just below 90. This was a couple of weeks ago. They reported their fiscal, I think it was their Q4 results. The stock had a massive gap. It gapped up maybe 15% trading at a new all-time high here. And then they roll out this bid. And when I think about Oracle and you go back and you look at the tens of billions of dollars since mid-2000s of M&A for just a bunch of random bolt-ons, micros, and you know, people soft and bees, and those all made sense over the years. But it's kind of like the roll-up to end-all roll-ups, like the island of misfit toys here. A lot of these things, it's kind of hard to figure out how they all go together. And I just think that's really interesting. I think we're going to see more of that next year by some of these companies that really like the idea that they have cloud next to their name. But I would also point you, and we've talked about this on a couple occasions over the last few weeks, over the last month, we've had two major SaaS companies that I think Oracle would consider themselves somewhat competitive with, was Salesforce.com and Adobe that all reported disappointing results and saw their stocks get absolutely nailed down 10% the day after results. So I think we could be heading into a little bit of a buzzsaw, even for some of these really large cap names that have benefited from this low rate environment. They benefited from the ability to borrow a lot of cash to either buy back their stock or fund deals like this Cerner Oracle deal that's obviously Obviously, going to be a lot of stock. Also, I think those sorts of scenarios coming into each other, Danny, could really be a sign of a top of this cycle in tech. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts right there. So, Dan, certainly interesting that Oracle's out there making a large acquisition of Cerner. A lot of these companies have had growth non-organically. It's been through acquisitions, and that's great. If you can acquire a company, make it work. I mean, look at Salesforce. There's these roll-ups that work over time, but eventually it catches up with you, and your point's spot on. Low rates, very good balance sheets have enabled this growth to continue. And at some point, that's another thing that higher rates hurts. And speaking of M&A, something really interesting in the cannabis space occurred. Pfizer is buying Arena Pharmaceuticals for $6.7 billion in cash. I'd rather watch Pfizer than wait for the FDA to tell me that this drug works, okay? So they're developing a drug for irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, stage two and three. Not even a drug on the market yet, and Pfizer is paying $6.7 billion for Arena Pharmaceuticals. So I'm not going to go into the science of it, but I think what Pfizer was focusing on is the non-psychoactive cannabinoids. CBD is one of those and the way to use these and a way to approach the body. So what happened earlier in the year, Jazz Pharmaceuticals bought GW Pharma 
who has the drug Epidiolex to treat epilepsy. But here's the takeaway. Cannabis is an anti-inflammatory in the body. Cancer is caused by inflammation in the body. All these diseases. And so I don't need the FDA. So again, pharma is watching cannabis. We've been saying this the whole time to see. So that's a massive validation to my point. Was that an all-stock deal, Danny? No, all-cash deal. Whoa. That's a $6.7 billion cash deal, Pfizer for 100 bucks a share. That's pretty amazing when you think about how much Pfizer just rallied. Obviously, there's great news about their COVID pill, their oral at-home pill, and all the news about the boosters is really good. So that makes perfect sense to be opportunistic with that stock just rip, what, 30 40% in the last couple of weeks. Hey, give us a quick update. We were talking a little bit about the Safe Banking Act. What's the timeline here? We were talking about that MSOS cannabis ETF as a way to play. That thing was just making new lows. It just kind of bounced in the last couple of trading days. Is this the sort of thing we might see a ramp into year end and maybe possibly new year? Yeah, we're going to see the bill reintroduced again. We're going to hear a lot of other bills surrounding Safe Act. I think we'll see that in January when they come back. Mid-January, this Build Back Better drama that's going on, it could supplant that for a little while, but we will see a lot of activity in Q1. And I think the main takeaway is these names are just washed out, tax loss selling. And within the MSOS, obviously, they have to go out and buy these U.S. names on swap, which is very inefficient, obviously. So you're going to get these knee-jerk moves, and they're pretty volatile. But like I said, I would be long this MSOS here for sure going into the first quarter of next year. All right. So let's talk about some other sectors that we've seen rotations in as money had come out of some as fears of Omicron. We saw energy move around a great deal. Crude oil got nailed. It went from, what, the high 70s down to like the mid 60s. Here we are at 73 and a half. But you want to talk about nat gas because nat gas here in the U.S. has been very volatile, but there's a brewing situation, obviously, with Europe. There's a lot of investors, strategists are keeping an eye on what Russia is doing on the border of Ukraine. And there's some big implications there. We talked about this in the fall. When Nordstrom 2 pipeline appeared, it was going to get the green light. That's now been pushed back, obviously. I think in mid-November, German officials said, you know what? Hold on a second. And ever since then, Putin on the border of Ukraine, things have gotten a little spirited again. And if you look at natural gas and electricity prices in Europe, you can't even find it on the chart. They're up so much. This is something that's not sustainable, obviously, to the European consumer. So they're in absolute crisis mode right now of where those prices are. And you can't even compare it to what the U.S. prices would be. You're talking 20-fold, 30-fold, at least what U.S. consumers pay. Don't quote me on that, but it's something in that realm. And so what happens the other day? Natural gas starts flowing east from Russia instead of west through the Ukraine. So obviously, it's political. Obviously, Putin is trying to show his muscle here. And this is an issue. We're going to the coldest two months of the year over in Europe. So again, Something that we're going to have to watch in January and February has political implications, economic implications, and Nordstrom too is no longer greenlit, and that's an issue, and maybe it's just playing politics, and he's basically said, this could flow through at any time. I'm not trying to do anything. Well, I don't buy it, and it's a political move, but it's having economic consequences, so something to certainly keep an eye on. All right. So, Danny, I think you have a couple things to say about AMC. I will tell you that over the weekend, the new Spider-Man No Way Home opened up. I did go with one of my daughters, and I will tell you that while... The theaters were closed during the pandemic. AMC got to work, man. They put a bar in my local one. They spiffed up the seats. There's heaters on the seats. They recline. It's kind of like a nice experience. And when you see the numbers that Spider-Man movie did over the weekend, I think $250 million, you can kind of say, all right, this thing's back. Now, AMC got a bump, but it's still well below levels where it was trading about a month ago. I think it was trading mid-40s. Here we are around 30 bucks. What's your take on what's going on AMC? Yeah, so I want to coin a new phrase. Uh oh. In a rot. So the phrase is. So wait, wait. You're going to coin a new phrase in a rot, which is rip off the tape. Sorry, I'm going to create a hashtag. And the hashtag for all meme stocks is obsessment instead of investment. And by the way, this goes for longs and shorts. 
AMC is a perfect example. I'm just looking at AMC in general. The amount of wealth destruction for longs and shorts is well probably into the 100 billions. When you start moving market cap, 10 billion, 6 billion, 7 billion. People are overtrading that name for sure. I'll put the movie in context, right? So I love people to go out and buy stocks. And like I said, I'm not necessarily rooting against AMC, but maybe they go cash flow positive in Q4 because it's the biggest season for movies, but we're going to revert back to losses in Q1. But perfect example of what I saw the other day when Adam Aaron comes out to celebrate his covenant suspension period on his debt, which got moved from March 22 to March 23. Hooray. It's the 11th covenant extension that they've had. That's not a sign of a healthy company. It's a sign of a reprieve. So they have to keep like 144 million cash balance sheet minimum. On the, that's fine. Then I go back and every time one of these pieces of news comes out, I go back, all right, I'm going to take a fresh look at this name. Maybe it is a long, but it's not. It's not a fundamental long here. Could they make money in Q4? Possibly. But just go look at the numbers, what they have next year. They raised $1.6 billion in cash basically from the end of 2020 into basically June of 21. That's what they have on their balance sheet right now is I think is 1.4, 1.6 billion cash. Anyway, so it just made me think about the markets in general, and I'm not really necessarily going after AMC, but when I see an AK come out, I like to look and see what the news is. So an 11th amendment to their credit agreement, they got the 10th one back in March. They have 5.5 billion in debt. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. And the bulk of the debt's not due. I'll give them that until 2026. So it's not like an imminent bankruptcy or anything. I just think it's funny that the extra 20 million in sales that they did higher for No Way Home made the stock go up 18%. And that's my point about it. So anyway, hashtag obsessment. I got to listen to put a bow on that. We've talked about this in 2018. This company had $5.46 billion in revenues in 2019. This is pre-pandemic. Obviously, they had $5.47 billion in revenues. Earnings swung from in 2018 from a gain of $1.22 to a loss of $108. This company was already impaired. There were things going on pre-pandemic, and they're not expected to get back to peak revenues at least until 2024. So a $15 billion market cap with all that debt, your point is a very good one. There's some sort of obsessment over this investment. There you go, Dan. Oh boy. You see what I did there? I did. All right, Danny Moses, we're missing guy here. He really gets excited about this portion of the show when we talk about your NFL picks. You are 20 and three going into week 16 as just a little background here. I started taking the other side of your picks, I think in week one, it has not been particularly great for me. I'm down 45 hunch. I have a few weeks left until we get to the Super Bowl to get even, or I got to write you a check here. What do you got going on for week 16? We know there's a ton of stuff going on. There's a lot of COVID protocols. There were some push outs as far as some games here that might cause some teams to be a bit more tired and others to be a bit more rested, if you will. And then obviously it's the end of the year. People are playing for a lot of big stuff here. What's going on, Danny, in your picks? I love Saturday night NFL football, especially on Christmas Day. It's a great thing. I'm going to go with the Colts this week, getting a point against the Cardinals here. And I think the Colts are playing better than anyone in the NFL right now. They're a solid road team. They're fired up. Arizona's been inconsistent the last several weeks. They still have a lot of injuries to deal with. So I like the Colts plus one at Arizona. And my second game, and I'll let you go against me if you want the other, is I know I got killed on him one time this year, but I'm taking the Bengals at home laying three against Baltimore. I don't care if Lamar Jackson plays or not. Cincinnati blew them out 41-17 to in October with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. I like Cincinnati coming off a big road win last week. So I like him here in Cincinnati's laying three. Again, this is before we know about it. Burrow test positive for COVID and is out. But as of right now, those are my two picks. Since he minus three, Colts plus one. What do you want to do? 
I'm going to take the other side of both of those for a stick each. One stick, okay? Wait, a dime or a stick? Because a stick could be a million. A dime, a thousand each. You know, back in the day, we call things a stick. A I nice got big it. round number like that. I think John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, deserves a whole heck of a lot of credit. You could say the opposite way. But when they got down there and they could have tied up that game and gone into overtime, they've done that twice now twice now that he's lost on bad two-point conversion plays to go ahead and win the game at the end. I like their heart, man. I like the Ravens' heart. No, same here. I think Cincinnati's a better team. Baltimore's got bad injuries, too, on top of COVID. So I like it. We're in there for a dime, so let's go. All right, a dime each. And then the other one, I will just tell you that I'm just taking the other side for the hell of it. And when we come back, we're going to take your questions. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. And we are back to take your questions. Amanda Diaz, you guys have heard her on the podcast before. She is our head of content producer and just the brains behind the operation here at Rich Virtual Media. She's going to join us. She's going to read the questions that you guys sent in. And Danny and I are going to answer them. Come on, Amanda. Let's do it. All right. You guys ready? Yeah, let's Ready, Amanda. All right. The first one is from Parm Man Trader. This one's for Danny. You guys have been mentioning stagflation for quite some time. What does the stock market look like in this environment? And what sectors do well? By the way, absolutely love the podcast. I look forward to Demosis's golf picks in a few weeks. I am going to come out with some golf picks. I'm going to talk to Ned. We're going to talk with some golf picks as well. In a stagflationary environment, just to remind everybody what that is, that's very low growth with very high inflation. That doesn't bode well, obviously, for the broad market. So I would say certainly being short the S&P is probably good there. Look at an example of something that would do very poorly, obviously. Higher rates, builders tend to not do well. Higher inflation, builders won't do well if they can't pass on those costs. So they're not in control of the raw materials that they're getting. That's just to think about it like as an example. You want to own value. You want to own high cash flowing companies, high dividend paying companies, that environment. You will have a massive growth to value move in the stock market if stagflation does take hold. So it's not going to be a pretty market if it does. But Dan, your thoughts on that as well. My sense would be, and I think regular listeners understand that I just think if we have that, I think it'll be more the fear of stagflation. I think there'll be some stagflationary prints, a lot of data that kind of speaks to that. I just don't think it's going to stick around for too long. And when you think about the last periods that our economy has had that sort of dynamic, I think the powers that be are a lot more active to fight those sorts of things. But I do think the fear of it could really take the stock market down. What I would say is I'd go back to if we were to have a really sharp decline in some of the mega caps, the things that make up the bulk of the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, that's where I'd want to be again in a low growth environment. We've seen outperformance in low growth environments. I'm just not particularly worried about the inflation aspect sticking around too long. That being said, 
Microsoft, a lot of software names, not worried about inflation. Alphabet, not worried about inflation. So Apple has done really well managing their supply chain during this period of higher prices and bottlenecks as far as supply chain. So again, I'd love to see a 10 to 15% decline in the NASDAQ 100. That's where I start layering in in a big way in that. All right, next question's from Dave. He says, hey guys, I really enjoy the pod as well as Twitter Spaces content on Monday and Wednesday, although I suggest you find a way to make audio quality and balance better on those. We're working on that, Dave. After listening to your various guests as well as doing my own research, I'd like to enter the crypto space by buying some ETH. I don't plan on using my holdings to buy products using ETH. Rather, it will be as a way to diversify my holdings as an alternative to precious metals. Is it as simple as opening a Coinbase account and then moving ETH into a Coinbase wallet? Logistically, how does one go about doing that? All right. Great question, Dave. Thanks for listening to all of our content here. We are, like Amanda said, the trading spaces right now, we are doing live on Twitter spaces and we're doing them through our phones and we're having a hard time figuring out how to get the best quality for that. So we are working on it, but thank you for bearing with us. All right, on the ETH, on the Ethereum, to me, I do think it makes sense to diversify. I look at what's going on with some of these crypto assets and I think about some of the protocols and the applications and the development that are being built in and around them. And on top of them, it makes perfect sense to me. I can't tell you what the value of any of these things are. I think that's probably one of the biggest headwinds is how to value them if you're thinking about other risk assets. But I will tell you, if you look at all the activity and you look at the VC activity and you look at a lot of other things going on around, I think you want to be there, man. And I don't know if at 4000 is the right price. I know that ETH was trading 700 a year ago. It was trading 2000 a few months ago. You know what I mean? So I think the volatility in a lot of these things is kind of the feature, not a bug. So how do you do it? You have to open some sort of on-ramp for most people. There are decentralized exchanges, which actually speaks more to the ethos of crypto and Web3 in general. But for most people, and me included, the idea of like a Coinbase as being an easy on-ramp makes a ton of sense. I've done exactly what you suggested. I buy ETH. I buy some other crypto assets. I move them into a wallet. Security is really important. So make sure you do all the tutorials on any of those exchanges that you're using to buy the crypto assets because it's really important that you kind of figure out how not to get hacked and how to have your assets secure. Not investment advice. Dan, I'll just echo that. I mean, I totally defer to you on crypto. I'm not a crypto bull, as you know. I'm not a hater. I'm just not a bull. But if I had to pick one crypto asset, definitely be Ethereum. So that's all I really can add to All that. right, fair enough. All right, Amanda, what else you got for us? All right, this next one is for both of you. It's from Georgios. He says, really enjoy your podcast, gentlemen. Thank you for a year of great listening. Oh, yeah, and the football picks. I think that's for Danny. Here's the question for each of you. What are your absolute top stock picks for 2022? I don't see the market being as generous as it was in 2021. Dan, you go first. Yeah, as far as returns for the stock market, we had just talked about a little bit the lack of fear in the markets, even given all the variants that we've seen, given all the fears of inflation, given the fears of Fed activity as it relates to tightening. The stock market, the S&P 500, did not sell off more than like 6.5% from any highs. I think there were more new highs in the S&P 500 this year than at any year in the past 30 other than maybe 1995 or something like that. So when I think about top stock picks, I really want to be focused on some of the themes that might work in a lower growth environment where rates are a bit 
bit higher, where inflation is high relative to where it was, let's say, two years ago when the Fed was fighting to get inflation up to 2%. It might be as low as 3%, which would still be high on historical standards. So again, a lot of the high-tech stuff that is growth at a reasonable price, a lot of those mega-cap tech names that we talk about that have been really defensive that a lot of people have been crowding them, those are the names that I kind of want to be in, except I don't want to be in them here, which is one of the reasons why I think a sell-off that scares the shit out of a bunch of people who are all trapped in the same names might give the opportunity to get back into some of those names. I don't like value tech. I don't like Cisco. I don't like IBM. I don't like Oracle. I think Disney could be a great do. I'd love to see Disney back. It was just trading at 145 right now as we're taping. It's like 153. I'd love to see a scary move lower in a Disney. That would be a name I'd buy. I really like Live Nation. When you think about some of the issues as it relates to the pandemic and people not doing doing things. I think that's about to be over at some point in 2022. That stock has traded really well. So that's one that I think could do very well. Airbnb coming back if you don't care about valuation and some of this stuff. So to me, there's a whole host of names I find really interesting. I'm also really into the Ford, although I did get rid of my Mustang Mach-E this week. I don't know if I told you that, Danny. I literally turned in the keys for that thing. I just can't deal with the battery issues anymore. I just think at some point, as those stocks, GM and Ford, have been re-rated a little bit, as Tesla has rallied to over a trillion dollars in market cap, I think their EV ambitions are going to be better appreciated by the stock market. So those are some of the names that I'm focused on right now, and I'm really looking for a pullback, though, to really kind of add or buy into them. For me, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, kind of the dogs of the Dow, something that we would look to own. So I think things that have high dividend, that are quality companies with high cash flows, I think is what I would do. And that's really a defensive play, obviously, because that's not being very, very aggressive. But I think next year you're going to want to own quality. I'm not saying this next sector is quality, but certain names within the cannabis sector, I think will get a boost. And if you can buy them, I would. I like Weedmaps, M-A-P-S, trades on NASDAQ. It's a NASDAQ-listed company. It's like the Google and Yelp of cannabis. I think it's oversold. It was a SPAC that kind of went bad here. They missed one quarter out of the box. I think it's oversold here. I like that. I like Sport Radar. It was just written up in Barron's a couple of weeks ago, this S-R-A-D, $5 billion company. They basically own the data for all these in-game live wagering bets. Go read that article in Barron's. Stock's not overly cheap, but it is the biggest game in town for this stuff. So love data company, obviously a high margin business there. So kind of things I'm looking at, some of the vices that can grow even in a market that's not going to. Sports gambling and cannabis are, are two of those for sure. So stick with quality companies on the major averages, dividend paying, and you can go look up some of those ETFs. Just look up Dogs of the Dow and things like that. You can find them. Again, not investment advice. So do your own research. Exactly. All right, Amanda, what else you got? Well, that was a good segue with cannabis because Michael says, I've been investing in cannabis since 2016 with Canopy Growth when it was on the OTC exchange pre-NYSE listing and have since built a much larger position in the top MSO names by the same OTC method, including Curaleaf, Green Thumb. I've been lucky enough to be early and remain positive on each of those names despite the large drawdown. I've always operated under the impression that as long as the underlying fundamentals are strong, share prices will catch up. Does this remain a good assumption for the cannabis space, even with the current political backdrop into 2022 and beyond Danny Moses? Well, you were early. Who was that? What's his name? Michael. Michael Mallison. Michael Mallison, credit to you for being very early when you were buying Canopy when it wasn't even listed yet on the exchanges. So let me just say that when money started to pour into the space, the only way to really express it for a lot of portfolio managers were the Canadian names. And they've never been the best way 
if you were to project five, 10 years in the future to kind of play the space because the country of Canada itself is like the size of Illinois as far as cannabis revenues go. So yes, if the U.S. does change its laws and you get federal legalization, it would allow these names in Canada to come in and have some M&A activity, which would be a positive. But I would rather own the names that are going to get bought out. And you mentioned before you're in these U.S. MSOs and you're buying them on swap. Just be patient. You can use some of these ETFs to buy it. That's where I would be. Never in the history of the market has there been this many technical loopholes for a sector to have to go through just to exist. And imagine those going away from a cost of capital perspective, trading on exchanges. So stay long. I don't like the Canadian names. I would focus more on the US names, the Green Thumbs, the Crescos, the Curalees of the world that you mentioned. And you can kind of get those all in the MSOS. And that's the easiest way I would do it. All right, Chris says, when, if ever, do you see the Fed reducing their balance sheet and your thoughts on what it will do to the market? I know Guy's not here, but Danny, you take this one. Um, I would say the fourth of never is when the Fed will be reducing its balance sheet. It will be a long time, I think, before you see anything like that. You got to finish taper. You got to start raising rates. I think that's obviously be the last thing that they will do. And I don't think they ever get to that point, at least in this cycle of investing. So fourth of never, put it on your calendars, fellas, fourth of never. Here's the deal. If you think about the last 25 years and you think about the sort of Fed action to combat the three major upheavals we've had as far as the economy and the markets is like the dot-com bust. They barely did anything expanding their balance sheet. They did lower interest rates, but quantitative easing was really something that came about after the financial crisis or during the financial crisis. And what did they tack on, Danny? A few trillion dollars onto their balance sheet there. And then this time around, they know it works. They feel comfortable with the fact that interest rates are never going to be above 3 or 4% ever again. So what do they do? They lower to zero, and then they just start buying literally trillions of dollars worth of bonds over the course of a year or two or whatever the hell it is. So the fact of the matter is we're nearly a $9 trillion balance sheet, and even if they taper their purchases, it doesn't actually mean that they're going to be rolling off or monetizing portions of that balance sheet. So I think the fact of the matter is we are stuck with a mid to high trillion dollar Fed balance sheet for maybe years or decades to come, which basically means why interest rates can never go up meaningfully. So to me, that's good for risk assets because they have to maintain that level of the balance sheet, which your point, Danny, and I'm going to throw this back to you for a second. It's just ultimately the chickens have to come home to roost. You can't just service that much debt at the sacrifice of growth for it really to just play out. I mean, how does it play out? If you don't want to reinvest the runoff, which is basically what we're talking about, we will have over 30 trillion of debt at the federal level. We can't afford for rates to go higher on a servicing that debt. And inevitably, if you do that, rates will be higher to service that debt. So you're to catch 22. So I don't think it's going to happen. So I think that conversation, we could take questions a year from now. And I think we'd have the same conversation is my best guess on that. So, All right, Amanda, let's take one more here. All right. This last question is from Ed. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about it as they head out for the holidays. What do you do with your investments when you're on vacation? I'm asking from St. Martin. Wow, Ed, St. Martin, we love it. Hey, here's the thing. This is what I do really specifically. My investments, I don't think twice about. If the time horizon is longer than my vacation, I don't care. If I have trading positions and I have levels in which I might take profits or I have levels in which I might stop to the downside, I kind of keep an eye on those. And really before I go away, I try to figure out how important are those positions? How convicted am I in those positions? And how much crap am I going to get if I'm on the beach or doing something? 
something for my wife or kids if I keep checking my phone or my laptop or something like that. So it's a pretty simple equation. It equals, what is it? What do they say, Danny? Happy wife equals happy life. So really get rid of the stuff that you're not convicted on, that you don't want to be bothered on. Don't worry about your investments that you have a longer term time horizon. What do you do, Danny Moses? Well, if it's an event-driven situation where it happens to be taking place during vacation and you're in a name that you know is going to move on it, that's an exception, right? You have to pay attention to it. So you can make the decision whether you want to have to deal with that or not. But I just mentioned when we started this podcast today that if you just went to sleep on November 26th and woke up today, everything's pretty much in the same place. If you own quality, great. If you want to put in limit orders or stop orders on certain things before you leave just to give you peace of mind that are crazy valuations, great. Because you know what? In this crazy world of trading, you get huge opportunities sometimes on downdrafts. So maybe put stop losses in, put limit orders in, and just set it and forget it. Good advice. All right, listen, Amanda Diaz, thank you for helping us out with the mailbag Christmas edition here. We miss Guy Adami. We wish the best of Guy and his family. We hope they have a very Merry Christmas. Danny, to you and your family. Amanda, to your family. Happy holidays here. We do have one more episode of On the Tape in 2021. It's been a fantastic year. We really appreciate all of you guys being along with us on this journey. I will tell you, if you like what you're listening to on the tape, you may also like a brand new podcast from Risk Versal Media that I am one of the co-hosts. It's called OK Computer. It launched yesterday. It is going to be covering technology, all things technology, public markets, private markets, intersection between Web 2 and Web 3. We have an amazing group of co-hosts and contributors that are joining us. These are current practitioners, VCs, operators, crypto people, Web 3 people, just amazing thought leaders in the space. So please check out OK Computer podcast in your favorite podcast store follow it so you get new episodes that drop every wednesday also follow us on twitter at ok computer pod we hope you like it we'd love to hear your feedback you know that you can always hit us at contact at riskreversal.com or hit us on twitter thanks for joining us have a great holidays everybody and we'll see you next week Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.